at uh, that uh, particular moment and what they had to say. As we think about uh, John F. Kennedy, he is uh, credited with a statement, ask not what your country can Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. As we think of Martin Luther King, uh, he made that statement, I have a dream. Uh, to going across the Atlantic uh, for Ian's sake and Anne's sake, he's thinking about Winston Churchill. There was a particular message he gave after uh, World War II, and he, and he said what really marks his life is, is this statement, never quit. Never, 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 never quit. And so as you think about that, we've kind of retooled that, I think, in recent years as we think about uh, John F. Kennedy's statement. I probably would say a lot of people in our country now would rephrase that and they would say, uh, ask not what you can do for your country, but what your country can do for, for you. As we think about Martin Luther King had a dream, he, we might say, I have a nightmare. <laughs> and as you think about Winston Churchill I would say this is where a lot of us struggle. It's not to never, never quit. It's never, never try. And so as we think about A Vision Sunday, as we think about loving God not just a little but a lot, it's really the challenge to, to have a dream. It's really a challenge to say, what, not what the church can do for me, but what can I do for the kingdom of God? And to think about what can I try in a new and fresh and more faithful way in 2011? You know, Jesus had many messages, and uh, uh, some were long and lengthy, uh, at least comparatively in terms of some of his other messages that are recorded for us in the Gospels, but some of them are rather short. In fact, Jesus gave a, a pretty powerful message when he was on the cross, and, and Paul said this about the primacy of the cross. He says, for I determined not to know anything, anything among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. As we look back at the cross, Jesus had a message. He had seven last words, but particularly he had one word that really was the statement about what he had just done and the impact it should have throughout the annals of time. And though we have it really in a statement, it was one word in the original language. It was the word tetelestai. And that message from Jesus is, it is finished. Actually, that one word message uh, to tell side could actually be translated in another way. It could also be translated, it is paid in full. And, and so as we think about God leaving his church, his people uh, here, uh, we're just on a journey from this place, that place in which we'll see God face to face. He has left us here not with what he has done that has not been finished, but what we have done that has not been finished. God has done everything that he needs to do to bring people into relationship with him. And it's his church that is to, to finalize the mission and purpose of why he came. The Bible says, in fact, our verse for the next month is, is Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He paid the price and he paid it in full. The question is, what are we going to do with the work that God has left us to do, that work that he completed, that we are to announce to others? Well, this morning I have a very simple message. I'm not going to do like I did in some of the gospel overviews in which I had 28 points, and uh, you're all supposed to remember that for the test that's coming. But uh, I, have a, I have a simple four-point message, and I won't have a poem at the end, but it's a simple, straightforward statement about but what is our church to be all about? 
It's what's our purpose? What are our priority? What's our process? And what is our passion? This is, this is what God wants us to be, and it really never changes. I was with a, a number of pastors this past week, and I asked them a question. I said, well, what is the vision or purpose of your church? And, and it took me some prodding to kind of get it out of them, but, but really there, there's nothing novel about the purpose and mission of the church because it's not something we invent. It's something that God has given us. And you can state it in a variety of different ways, but Jesus left us with some marching orders. Now, we put it this way in terms of our purpose statement. We are, we are left here to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's why we're here. There are so many things we'll do so much better when we see God face to face. But there's one thing we will not be able to do more effectively, and that's reach people for Jesus Christ. And whatever we do, however we live, reflects on that message that God has given us. And that's why our purpose is to honor God, to glorify Him. Paul put it this way in um, that book in which he described the perfect church for imperfect people. And if you haven't figured this out, this is a perfect church because you are imperfect what? <laughs> people. And we all, as, as John was sharing earlier in our service today, we come in with all kinds of things from a week that we struggled with. And God meets us at our point of need. Not just simply that our needs will be met, but then, then we have a purpose to live out. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Live in such a way that people can see that God is living in you. And your purpose of life is, is to connect with Him and help other people connect with Him as well. Uh, what, what's our purpose as a church? To honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. Uh, what's our priorities? And, and putting this together, what's also our process? How, how are we trying to make that happen? As you had opportunities to see the variety of things that uh, we did in 2010 and looking forward to some things in 2011 turned some events. You saw a lot of different faces filled with joy and, and filled with enthusiasm and excitement, whether they were children or whether they were youth or adults or, or our more mature part of our congregation. All filled with life. And that's why Jesus came, to, to give us life, abundant and eternal. But how are we to get that out to others? We need to understand that God has given some marching orders for the church. And really we need to understand what does it mean to do church or to be the church. It means to understand that it's more than just gathering together on a Sunday morning in a gathering like this. That's part of what we do, but that's not all that we do. We are called as a people to scatter and to meet and to gather. And we put that scatter to begin with because we need to realize that it's the 168 hours or the 167 more hours of the week that we need to realize that, that we're, on, we're on call. God's always on call. We're on call to be used of Him in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in the people we hang out with. I was wondering, do, you, do we have any volunteers to get on that, that skate rank, you know, where he was kind of hanging like this? Anybody want to? Volunteer for that ministry. Well, we're on call to, to represent him everywhere, whether it's an event at church or, or whether it's in your home, 
or on some athletic team, having a coffee with somebody. We scatter. We leave this place, and we are still to be the church. We are still to be dispensers of God's grace, which is simply a statement of God's goodness and favor that he will give to those who reach out to him. And so we're calling us as Grace Hills to to scatter, to serve and talk about Christ. We put up just for a brief moment uh, some of the, the missionaries that we support around the world. And it's interesting, this week uh, I, I got a, a prayer letter from uh, the church in Malacha, Turkey. And uh, we had a group of team, a team that went over there last year and had an opportunity to minister in that country for uh, a number of weeks. And, and this is the church specifically that we support as a church. And the pastor is Yassalam Qatar. And he is the the pastor that replaced the one that was murdered a few years ago. And, and he sent these as prayer requests. Interesting enough, uh, this is what he said. Malatya, Musandel, Ganymiz, Yaman, Rabenin, Yolna, Lidinisni, V, Cesarithrin, Meninsky, Ishtayanez. Does anybody know Turkey here? Turkey? I'm glad because I just butchered that language. <laughs> but this is how it's translated. Pray for God's boldness as we evangelize here in Malatya. One of the parallel prayer requests for that particular thing is right now they're not an official church. They are just meeting and gathering God's people together. They just recently had three baptisms in a place where people were murdered for their faith. And what they prayed for was not protection. That would have been first on my list. God, keep me safe. I don't want to be like those who were not just murdered, but tortured. They, they didn't ask to be kept in their comfort zone. They didn't be asked to, not to do anything that might be a, a little bit of a stretch. They asked for boldness. And see, that's what God wants from us as a church. To use our gifts and abilities to, to, to serve Him in those areas where you know, our niche is, and whether it's children or youth or adults or uh, sports ministries or quilting. I, I'm volunteering for that this next, no. It, whatever, it, you know, you can reach out and use the abilities you have to, to touch lives. It's just ministry is simply people on people. But in the midst of that is we need to recognize it's not just ministering to the people we have here. It's the people that need to know Jesus. And part of that is, is relational And so much of that is relational, but it also requires some boldness. Where we we ask that question, what is it you believe about Jesus? Or can I tell you something about my faith? Or have you ever thought about what happens after this life is over? And we ask for boldness to communicate that which has revolutionized our life, which is our relationship with Jesus. It's looking at people, not that we're better than them, but we have something that can change their lives, and it's the message of Christ. And our boldness usually is simply, man, help me get over my unwillingness to be uncomfortable. Help me to take a step to invite them either to something at church or 
something outside of church where I just have opportunity to talk with them. I believe this could be a prayer request on every one of our lists. God, help me to be bold in sharing my faith with people in my relational world. We use the word oikos, <laughs> not to, to use some strange word just to have insider language, but to use a, a different word than simply evangelism to say, hey, people have been brought into our, our world in our neighborhood, again, or at work or at school, people we know. And, and God wants us to look out for those people that we know and, and share the message of Christ to them. And, and so as we think about our church, our church has a purpose to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. How's that going to happen? It's by us understanding that when we leave this place, we have a priority. We, we have a a part of God's game plan, that process where we scatter to talk to people about Jesus, to serve people where, where they can see that the love of Christ is not just simply talked about, but it's lived out by, by helping people in tangible ways. The reason we do ESL, English as a Second Language, is not because we simply have nothing else to do. It's because that's a real need, and we want to show that we care by helping people at a point of need to build a bridge, a relationship bridge where they can see Christ in us. Not getting any money for that. We're not getting any resources, but to, simply to show that we care. And that can be done in an institutional program or it can be simply as you go wherever you go, serving and talking about Christ. But now we call to, to scatter, to reach out to our oikos, and to build bridges to maybe people we don't know that will be brought into our oikos. That word oikos simply is that extended household, that, that relationship world in which people we know, and we can look for opportunities to, to show love to God and a, of God's love to them in a personal way. But we're also called to gather. Now, to gather means if we're going to be fully devoted followers of Christ, and, and Jesus said that in the mandate in, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the idea there was that, that we are to be people who become deep in our faith. So, so we live out our faith in practical ways. Our men's ministry has as a statement in Proverbs, as iron sharpeneth iron, so should one man sharpeneth another man's life. And that's what happens in our life groups as people come together and they study God's word and pray with each other. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The word for fellowship has the idea of partnership. It's actually the same word from which we get communion or koinonia. And as we meet faithfully together, it's for the purpose that we might not simply be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And so as you think of it as a priority, we're, we're called to, to scatter, to serve and talk about Christ. We're also called to gather. We're also called to meet, which means to grow in Christ. And that's what our life groups are all about. That, that's the heart of what we do at Grace Hills Church, to, to have people meet with people to be serious about their faith. But then again, that's not all we do. We scatter, we meet, but we do gather in places like this and times like this where we worship corporately together. Look at what the Word of God says. And this is when we love and honor Christ. 
Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We don't know how much time we have left, but as we think about that time, we need to invest it in gathering together that we might encourage each other spiritually. Uh, there's so many great passages in the Word of God uh, that we're not even going to look at. Psalm 92 said, It's good to give thanks and to sing praises to thy name, O Lord Most High. It's good to be in a place like this. Not that God is not fully God until we praise Him, but we are not fully who we are to be until we praise Him. It is good to give thanks and to sing praises to His name. In Romans 12, 1, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What's our purpose? Our purpose is to, to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. What's our priority? What are our priorities? And what's the process of how we do ministry here? We have a mindset of scattering and meeting and gathering. We scatter to talk about Christ and to serve Christ. We reach out to our oikos. We meet to grow in Christ so that we could grow in our relationship with Him and our life groups. And then we gather to show love and honor to Jesus Christ. What's our passion? Which really simply, why do we do what we do? Because God has called us to love Him. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 and And I'm just going to state some obvious things here. Some people are afraid of the book of Revelation, but you need to understand the book of Revelation is simply a book which unveils who Jesus is. In fact, Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which must shortly take place. But it's a revelation not only of the future, but simply who Jesus is. The Revelation chapter 1, 12 through uh, 20, we basically have the statements of, of how Jesus is revealed even more powerfully to John who knew him face to face. And when he really saw him in all his glory, verse 17, and when he saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. But then in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, he speaks to the churches and each one of these churches, they're, they're kind of messages for us as well to kind of give a, a spiritual checkup. And, and really begins with a church at Ephesus, which is in the land of Turkey. And, and it, it was a great church, but he said, this one thing you need to make sure is true about you. They were busy. They were concerned about the truth. They were reaching out to people around them. But in verse 4, he said this one thing about them. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, there's been volumes written about what this means. And as I was struggling this past week to make sure that what I thought it meant was really what it meant, and then all those kind of things, you go mental gymnastics to make sure you you get the essence of the statement. But let me give you something really profound about the statement. What does it mean to have Jesus as your first love? First love is the person in your life that you love first. 
That's all it means, all right? It, it means it, in every relationship that you have in this world, who do you love most? First love is simply identifying who in your life do you love first. Now, we, we could expand this in a variety of different ways, and I really believe this is good news because when we love Jesus first, every other love will be so much greater and so much more fulfilling and so much more joyful. But if we miss it here, then every relationship that we have will be shallow in comparison to what it could be. Because whenever our relationship with God is right, then our relationships with other people can be right. But when it's not right, then our relationships with others are not right. I want to leave us with a couple questions this morning. We want to clearly describe to you that we have a vision for this next year. There's a variety of things that we're, we're praying about and want to do new in terms of the new year. There are a lot of things we want to do better than we did in the past. There's some new avenues by which we want to touch down and, and meet people's needs. We want to do some better things in terms of equipping you and training you and preparing you for all that God wants you to, to do and to be. But let's get down to the simple basics. God wants His people to know their purpose. God wants his people to have priorities, to serve Christ, to talk about Christ, to grow in Christ, to love Christ, to honor Christ. He he wants us to know how how does that get done? Well, it's when you scatter, when you leave this place, you're on call. It's meeting, making a commitment to be in a a group relationship where, where people are praying for you and you're praying for them. It's gathering on a regular basis to, to sing praises and, and corporate worship to God. And it's all done because the passion is there, because you love Christ first. This is what I want to leave you with this morning. This is, these are the two questions I want you to answer. It's on the back part of your outline. What would your life look like if you loved Christ first. There are so many things in life that distract us, that compete with who we are and what we do. What would your life look like if Christ was your first love, that you loved him first? And then secondly, what would our church look like if we loved Christ first? In a few moments, our worship team from our first worship service is going to come and, and lead us in praise. And, and I want you to take that first song that they lead us in. And, and I want you to take a pen or a pencil or whatever it might be. I, I want you to write some responses to those two questions. For some of you this morning, you might say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not really with the program at all. And, and that's the thing you need to consider. Is Christ worthy of your allegiance and your commitment? Maybe you need to come to that point where you admit your need and turn from your sins and fall toward Him. Believe in your heart that, that Christ paid the penalty for your sins and rose again and commit your life to Him to follow Him as your Lord God and Savior. But if you made that commitment, then you've got to say, well, how am I living that out? 
What would my life look like if I put Christ first? What would our church look like if we put Christ first? And just jot some responses down on those two questions. Let's pray. Father, uh, your son inspired John to, to write a whole message to a church just with that challenge. I'm sure they had to wrestle with that in terms of what that meant for them individually and corporately. And Father, as we worship you through praise and song, might in the next few moments we wrestle with that. What would my life be differently if I put you first? And then maybe looking together, what would our church look like if we together put you first? Help us to be honest with you at this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.